So welcome again to Punks on the Pitch podcast. Uh, this is our Monday kind of review show after a weekend pack full of action. Um, but it kind of seems like the Premier League has mellowed out a little bit after a crazy few opening weekends. Um, but as always, you're not hearing just my dulcet tones. Um, fresh off witnessing his team come to a, a, a poor performance from what I hear. George Parr, a Man United fan and also... Astral Noise editor, George, how how was it? <laughs> just uh, pretty dull, very uh, very boring and just, yeah, poor, really. Yeah, like, as I said before, kind of, I hit record, like, I didn't get a chance to sort of see the game myself, but even, like, just looking through the match report, the only talking point seems to really be the penalty. So was there kind of much else going on or was that literally that one chance and that was kind of it? No, I mean, there are a couple other chances. Arsenal had the better chances as well. But, I mean, it was definitely a penalty. And, you know, there's been a lot of penalties so far this season already. And they're deciding games a lot. And, yeah, Pogba just got the wrong side of him. I could see it coming when the ball was coming in as well. I just thought he's the wrong side of him. Mm. He's going to go through. And, um, like, a few things I've seen, like, already off the back of this because like people are saying like I, th- I think it's the first time that Arsenal have, have won at United in I think it's like seven years or something like that and like there's fans writing into like the Five Live and the BBC feed like saying Solskjaer should go and all this sort of thing but like in midweek they beat RB Leipzig 5-0 and it's just like yeah. <laughs> I don't know is that knee-jerk reaction or do you think yeah, something definitely. needs to ha- because I think he's been doing an all like okay, he's not Alex Ferguson by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he's been doing a, a fairly decent job. Yeah, I think so. And to to follow on from your example of saying he's not like Ferguson, it took Ferguson a few years before he was winning anything at United. You know, there were, he had a few years at United where people were wanting him to leave and saying it's time to go. You know, it, sometimes it takes time to build something. I'm not saying he's going to build that sort of legacy, um, but you got to give him a chance, you know. Like, we keep going from manager to manager without letting any of them see out their vision for the team, you know. Yeah. We know that he didn't get any of the targets that he wanted in the um, the transfer window. And, um, f- from that, obviously, as well, we didn't have a proper pre-season I mean I know no one really did but especially the teams in Europe um, the team is just tired and I don't know it's going to take some time we've had a tough run of fixtures and with you know I mean on the whole it's you know if you take the Champions League into it it's not that bad you know we're not where we want to be in the league but we've, there's a long way to go yeah we can really get back up the table yeah well before we kind of get into the the meat and veg of, of what we're going to talk about this episode. As always, we're, where we are punks on the pitch, I'd like to talk a little bit about music. And obviously in your role, we're probably hearing a few more things. So what, what kind of new stuff have you been listening to recently? Uh, yeah, quite a, a, a lot of like slow and heavy stuff, a lot of doom. Um, I love the, um, well, Chain to the Bottom of the Ocean, the Sludge Band, just they, um, 
they've released like a compilation of all their their music so far. Oh, so sick. they've got like one album and a load of EPs. They've just basically compiled it into a single album. Um, and I'm I'm writing up an interview with them at the moment as well. So I've been listening to loads of them. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and obviously the hype now that the the Thou and Emma Ruth Rundle collab is out. Obviously everyone's been yeah, that's hype flaps back up so i've gone back to that you know because I, I listened to it when i got the promo and um and then forgot about it a bit and now that ev- you know everyone's talking about it i've gone back to yeah it. like oh, it's yeah. been in for the last so like yourself i had the promo and i kind of listened to it originally and then i was doing something like along the sides of it so i went back and checked it out and then since its release i've literally had it on heavy rotation i think I've listened to it about four or five times, like on that on that Friday, and at least once a day since. So, yeah, it's very much making its way into my record of the year list at the moment. I, I was actually at uh, Roadburn when they they played together as well. Oh, sick! It just sounded insane then, and I've just been so excited for the album ever since. Yeah, just so happy that it's here. Like it's 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 almost kind of exactly what you'd expect from those two working together yeah and and that's like the best thing it could be do you know what I mean? yeah like it doesn't need to be anything else that's it like the, the comparison i made it well it's, it's not similar but in terms of like styles it's sort of like the cult of luna julie christmas kind of collab yeah, but it's yeah, with this it's got a bit more i don't know ethereal like feel to it and i think emma's voice on top of what foul do and like the way her voice is interspersed with Brian's is just like, yeah. it's beautiful. Like for something that's so dark and harrowing, it's just really nice. Yeah. And there is something that works, something, something about their styles that binds them together, even though they are, you know, they have quite obvious differences, just the, the, the sort of slow nature and the dark, you know, atmospheres and, I think there's like they they both have some like grunge influences in there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I a lot of people call what Emery Frundle does like soft grunge, and obviously, um, Thou, you know, grunge kind of shines through on everything they do. And I think that is kind of like the thing that ties them together. And then from there, they you know put their own stamp on it. Yeah, most definitely. Well, before we get fully involved in music and kind of go off track. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about our Punks on the Pitch team, which, through my own fault, I've kind of forgotten about a little bit talking about on this show because I get waylaid and sidetracked and things like that. But Wickham Wanderers, they have their first win of the season um, after picking up their first point of the season midweek in a hard-fought draw against Watford. But, yeah, 1-0 against, OK, struggling also Sheffield Wednesday, but it's three points. They're off the mark. They're they've they've finally got the the win. Um, did you get a chance to kind of check out this? Like look look at any highlights at all? Um, a little bit. I didn't see the, the full highlights, but I saw like the goal and that. And yeah, it's um. I mean, it's just it's good. Obviously, you need to get the first win on the board just to prove it to yourselves and to your fans that you can can do it. You mm. know? And like you said, it's another struggling team, but that's kind of that's you know you need to to pick up the points in those games yeah exactly. and i guess to go from losing all of them to a draw and then a win you know it's like steps steps of improvement yeah and i think like that's the the thing like the games they've lost apart from the the swansea and the blackburn one 
they were competitive in them and they were kind of like two ones or one nils. They weren't like drubbings or anything like that. But I think the the game against Watford, who have started the league incredibly well, like was a huge sort of morale boost. And I think the other kind of morale boost, and as much as a cult figure is, he is like the impact that Akinfenwa has on that team is noticeable. And like since he's been back, like he he may not have scored in the championship yet, but you can see the impact that he has harassing defenders, creating chances for like his fellow teammates. And if I can't remember exactly, but I think it was like his initial sort of charge into the box that set up the corner that then led to um, David Wheeler's goal. So yeah, I don't, I know we spoke about him a lot last time, but it, yeah. it goes to prove like having that, pivotal figure on the pitch like as well as having a bit of momentum with the draw kind of helps in some aspect yeah I think so and I like he's like he's obviously a really strong player and good at just getting in those areas and getting the ball and it's hard to get off him get it off him once he has it um but but also just like the the, the presence of a player like that like like he he has this kind of uh I don't know, like mysticism around him now because he just—he's just known as like a like you said, like a cult figure. You know, it's not often that someone playing at his level. I mean, less so in the championship, but you know, he's he's been in League One before, and um, I think League Two at times as well. Mm. It's it's rare that people who mainly just watch you know like Premier League football or just follow you know the, the big teams in Europe know of a player at his level yeah but yeah his name is just so universally known <laughs> so it, it's kind of it's just good to have him in the dressing room even if he's not you know um playing and, and or, or performing but obviously at the moment he uh he is having an impact on the pitch as well mm. and obviously the goal came in uh like stoppage time of the first half so in the second half they did have to kind of grind it out a little bit and sort of defend and things like that but i think we've seen so far this season, it's not necessarily like, okay, they've been conceding goals and there's been some sloppy mistakes, but their defence seems quite solid and it seems like Gareth Ainsworth has built a fairly decent sort of defence in there. So I think like, I don't know, maybe like it's just a confidence thing of like, once you start getting those wins, start getting those goals, maybe it will start to kind of fall into place a bit more. Like, I don't know, I might be just kind of, Ad living a little bit, sort of thing, but I don't know. Like, I mean, the, you want to the, see them the progress. It's probably huge as well. Mm. Like, just, just, just to again to prove that you can do it, and just for the defense to know that they can keep it out. And I mean, just before half time is always like a good time to score because you you can then pivot your game plan for the second half, knowing that you've got the lead and the other team have to come at you. So if you've got an organized defense, you know, you you can kind of use that to your advantage there yeah and like they're so i'm just looking at the league table now and they're obviously two point they're still take away sheffield wednesday because they're on minus four because of all their financial details and effort but that, if you take that they're bottom of the bottom of the table but they're two points away from getting out of the relegation zone but it's just, this just shows how nuts the championship is like the teams that are surround yeah. them in that bottom sort of six pack is Derby County, Notts Forest, Coventry, Rotherham, Queen's Park Rangers and Cardiff. This is like 
it's not yeah it's not bad company to sort of like be among so and it just shows in that league like anybody could beat anyone on any given day so it's gonna be so tough for them this season but yeah and so tough it doesn't stop for them because they've got another game on wednesday uh they're away to birmingham city so hopefully an unbeaten run will 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 spur them on we'll wait and see yeah um but also sticking with Wickham, their their ladies team, just because this happened today, I haven't seen any highlights of it or anything like that, so I can't talk about it too much. But I just want to give massive praise for this. They played um, New Newbury's ladies team. I'm not sure like what tier they're in in the women's game, but hmm. despite that, it was a nine-one win, which is just fucking crazy. Um, so yeah. Wins all round for Wickham Wanderers this weekend, which is great. Yeah. Um, whilst we're, we're talking about the women's game, uh, today was a, a big day in their season, even though it was technically last season's FA Cup, but still because of COVID, everything <laughs> that happened. Um, but we had the women's FA Cup final today between uh, Everton and Man City. And as always, the perennial underdogs, I was rooting for Everton. But this mm, was a, yeah. like... This was a really fun game. Like, I think I've said it before on this show, like the more exposure that the women's game gets is the better. And this was a brilliant advertisement for that, for that, because it was fast paced. Like there were, towards the end of the second half, there were more clear cut chances, but it was just really kind of energetic, really end to end game. Both teams set out really, really well. Um, Man City, I think the scoreline is so Man City won 3 1. Um, and I think it did like, okay, Janine Becky got the third with literally the last kick of the game. <laughs> but obviously, it went into extra time, and Everton did really well to sort of get themselves back into the game. They had chances to win it as well. Um, but yeah, like, did you get a chance to sort of, because obviously, I know you have one eye on the United Arsenal game, but did you get a chance to see, <laughs> yeah. see much of this at all? No, it was actually at work until um, until like, I actually missed just like the first few minutes of the United game because I was just rushing home. Um, so I didn't get to see the game, but I've watched um, some highlights. And I mean, it seems like I mi- I, I hate missing like the dr- you know when games have a dramatic end. Mm. You know, I love I love watching extra time just because because it just you know it doesn't happen often. So it's like when it happens, it's like you know, when a game goes to extra time and it's tight and it's, and it's for, you know, such a big occasion of like winning a trophy. It's, uh, I just love the, the drama of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think like for Everton specifically, like they weren't kind of expected to be there. Like they beat um, mm-hmm. Chelsea in the, I think, yeah, it was in the quarterfinals and then I can't remember who they beat in the semis to actually get to the final. Um, but they like they didn't sort of shy away from the occasion like of being in that sort of limelight and their manager um Willie Kirk's put them in a brilliant sort of position he's obviously got like good organizational skills like they the first half specifically okay um city got that first goal in the first half which was like un- from an unstoppable corner but Apart from that, their defence was brilliant, and obviously lots of people have been shining, um, giving praise, sorry, to Sa- Sandy um, McEver, the Everton goalkeeper, who deservedly got man of the match at the end of it. But she pulled off two 
sublime state uh, saves throughout the game. And yeah, that third goal was a bit unjust on her, but I don't know, like, in terms of like the women's game, I think this is a showing that, because before it was very much like, kind of like the old Premier League, like in terms of having like the big four, like you had the mm. big teams like your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, your Man City, that were dominant in the WSL. But now like you've got a team like Everton who are having a bit more investment into them. They're bringing in a higher caliber of player. And yeah, I think it's it's just always exciting to see the progression of, of the women's game and that it's starting to kind of, well, not even starting, it's getting the recognition it deserves. Yeah. And, and what you were saying about them improving as well, like cups are so good for, for seeing where a team's at and also just having that, opportunity for for a team who's slightly smaller to to you know get to a final and um a lot of team a lot of the time when when a team does get to a to a final like saw it in the men's game like when Tottenham got to Champions League final mm. and obviously it kind of fell apart the following season it's almost like they've seemed like that was enough almost like they'd done it just because they got to a final <laughs> yeah but they didn't have that winning mentality but it seemed like today like Everton showed up to 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 play and and to win and thinking you know they had a chance to get it so i feel like this it's more like of a sign of them improving than it is you know a peak of anything i feel like there's they can still go on and improve from from there yeah and um, one thing again i will say for to everton is they like you could tell towards like the end of extra time that they were starting to sort of fatigue and, and things like that but their players took like one like not that it was like hard tackles or things like that but there was just like moments where you could tell like they took a bump or something like that or there was a bit of a harder tackle and their players just like just felt looked like beat up at the end of that yeah. game but played for it. Yeah, yeah exactly and I think that's what I really like about sort of the women's game, like okay, we may you may not see necessarily as hard tackles or things like that, but in the men's game, there's so much like over the top theatrics of diving and things like that. But it seems like the women just get on with it. They don't give like if they get hit, they get hit. Like okay, they might be down on the floor for a bit, but like um, Valerie Go Govan, the Everton striker, like got like quite I think quite a bad knock on her knee at the end of the first half and the commentators were saying oh she's definitely she'll definitely come off at half time blah 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 and lo and behold she comes out like massive strap on her knee and carries yeah. on. So yeah. just just run it off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's like what you love to see in in football. Mm. That's like the football I grew up in grew up with, mm. not like oh like this oh, you trod on my foot, so I'm going to jump a metre in the air sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to think, like, a lot of the time you pick up an injury in football, you sort of think, if I run on it, it'll go away, and then I can deal with it later, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the attitude you need to have, especially in a, in a cup final, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's bigger things to worry about, you know? Yeah. proud of the team. Uh, the whole squad in general um, and I think everyone knew coming into this game that it wasn't good enough to come out with anything but the win so dug in uh, scored a couple really nice goals kept a couple really nice chances out of the goal um, through Ellie so we're cool really right so we're now going to travel across to uh, the mainland and one of the 
the big giants who seem to be kind of crumbling by the wayside. Um, we mentioned it briefly uh, on Friday's episode with the change of their presidentship, but Barcelona um, equaling their worst ever start to a season. Um, I think it's like the like the worst in like eighteen years or something like that. I can't. I've got the stat up here now, but I can't remember exactly what it is. But yeah, it's like their worst start to the season in in forever. A lot of the fingers are being pointed at Ronald Koeman. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, f- for me, this is kind of exciting because I love to see one of one of these. Like, it was kind of similar with, like, sorry to, to put this on your beloved United, George, but, like, when, obviously, Fergie retired, to mm. see the kind of descent of United a little bit, like, it was exciting because it gave another team that opportunity to fill that gap. And La Liga is so saturated with Barcelona and Real Madrid. And to an extent, Atletico, when they kind of peep their head in there every so often. But I don't know, like, how do you kind of feel about this? Do you like seeing these situations or do you prefer seeing these bigger clubs thrive? No, I think it's exciting, like you said. Um, and even like with United, as 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 much as I want to see us win and get back to to being you know a dominant team, there is a kind of strange, almost like masochistic kind of like enjoyment in just <laughs> yeah. in just the struggle. So I kind of get so I kind of get that you know like as a fan, it's kind of a it's a dramatic period, mm. and and some ways you just want it to end so your team can get back to it. But it's also like the unknown you know and it kind of adds a new element to to a game so and you know obviously from the outside perspective um for everyone else in the game it's even more exciting because you're just seeing a a huge shift in in the way the game and it's it's more than likely that Barcelona will just get back up on their perch at some point in the next few seasons Mm. because they make so much more money than anyone else in the league them and Real Madrid um that, that eventually they'll stumble upon, you know, the right system and the right players. Um, but they are, they do seem to be going through a bit of a, like, a patch where it's just, you know, the, the formula kind of that they were relying on has ran out and they don't really have anything set up to replace it for now. Mm. And I think it's interesting because, like, obviously there's a lot of kind of off-field issues going on with Barcelona at the moment. As I said, like, they're, their president last week sort of stepped down after sort of months mm. and months of like disagreements and, and things like this, obviously the whole sort of yeah. messy scandal over the summer and things like that. And obviously now this bad start and obviously as I, as I mentioned, there's fingers being pointed at Cumin. but do you think that's fair? Like, do you think like the off field issues are what's causing this or has Cumin not got control of the team? Cause uh, I know it in like Barcelona specifically, the way that club is run is club is run from the top down rather than like the manager controlling the team. Like obviously their yeah. higher ups have a lot of say. So it's, it's a business as well. Yeah, as a club, exactly. Yeah. So like, is it fair to point the finger at Kuman, like who's come into this shitty situation, or should it be pointed no, elsewhere? Not. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair to solely blame him. I thought it was kind of a, a weird um, appointment. Mm. But not, you know, but he, you know, you can't blame him for anything yet. And I think, like you said there about whether the um, 
the off-field stuff is affecting on the pitch. And I think it's kind of both. It's almost like the off-field stuff is partly stemming from what's happening on the pitch. And, um, and, and obviously that then feeds back into it and it all just, you know, spirals. Because I think the club as a whole needs to kind of move on from the era that, that they're still sort of stuck in, which I guess you could almost just call the messy era. Yeah. You know? And, and I think the fact that they've, you know, gone through all this thing with, with um, getting rid of the president and all that kind of thing, um, or having him resign at least, um, it's, it's kind of like when, when Messi, you know, said he wanted to leave, it's almost like they thought we can't let that happen. Like, like he's almost like he's bigger than the club or anyone else here. Oh, definitely. They'd rather get rid, they'd rather get rid of everyone that he has a problem with just to keep him you know, playing for them, um, potentially even just for the image, you know, of having Messi in your team, even if he's not the same player that he was a few years ago, mm. um, just because of the money that brings in having him. Um, yeah, they'd rather get rid of everyone that, that he has a problem with just to keep him happy and keep him there than they would just say, okay, well, you know, we, we got a lot of good years out of you. You can go wherever you want now. And it's interesting, like, because of that, like, the this sort of notion that he is bigger than the club kind of thing mm. because of, they're having this awful start and a lot of that well yeah a lot of it is kind of down to the way that Messi is used because he's such a focal point of that team like the the press are kind of now having a field day saying that because he's not scoring that's the reason Barcelona aren't winning and I don't know like I'm not being of a Lionel Messi defender because I don't think he needs it at all because he's a multi-millionaire and he's one of the best players in the world. But you've got to kind of think, like, does that kind of pressure then have a knock-on effect to Messi as a player and then Barcelona as a bigger, as a team? Because, like, you've got all this, like, attention on one player. The rest of the team like, well, fuck him, like... What yeah. like I don't know is that is that something that could come into it I don't know I don't know I mean you you think there'd be a lot of pressure on him but you don't know how, I don't know how much someone like Messi feels pressure anymore do you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you've got to think imagine his whole whole career's been that um, and how much he really cares about it anymore but but he's not the only you know big name in that time that team and he's not the only player being paid you know ridiculous wages. Mm. Um, and definitely not the only striker that's being paid, you know, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous wages. So there's, a, you know, there's other people in that that team that need to improve as well and start scoring. Um, like Griezmann's really not taking his chances well so far this season. Mm. And I've just seen a, like an interesting stat that kind of came up. So their their most recent game was a one-one draw against Alaves, and um, I've just seen as well. their goalkeeper. I'm gonna. We've learned so far on this show that I butcher pronunciations, so we'll get we'll, <laughs> we're going to give this a go. So it's Fernando Pacheco. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but he made like seven like goal saving saves essentially, which is yeah. like one of the highest stats against Barcelona. Like I think him and only one other goalkeeper have kind of amounted to that in a single season sort of thing so there was they clearly created the chances but they had this brick wall in Alaves's goal and just couldn't get past him 
that's one of those things as well. And it always seems like those games come at the worst time, you know, like when the team is struggling and there's all this drama on, off the field as well. You just have one of those games where it just doesn't doesn't work for you. Yeah. But those games are always exciting because it's always good to see the underdog just kind of... And in, in a weird way, it's always fun to see, like, the a big team struggle. You know, you're just <laughs> yeah. so used to, like... You know, you just see, like... Like, even, like, last year, I, I kind of enjoyed watching... I mean, obviously I would as a United fan, but I just thought it was exciting when City had their patches where their defence was just so shaky. And you're just thinking, normally you'd look at a game, you know, like um, City-Norwich, and you'd be like, oh, you know, City will win 5-0 or whatever. Yeah. For me, it just kind of, they don't look... And it used to be, you know, if a team scored against them, you thought, oh, well, they'll come back and, you know, score five more. But it's not like that anymore. And it's just... It, it makes the game more exciting. Yeah, and I think it's like, uh, even earlier like this season when we saw um, Augsburg beat Bayern Munich, like, yeah. you get that kind of thrill of, of just, like, not necessarily a minnow team, but, like, a team you wouldn't expect to beat one of the big guns sort of pulling off this this massive coup. So it does... It Yeah, it's say, that's what, what we love about football and that's what makes... Football exciting. It makes you feel like it can happen again and you don't know when it's going to happen and it unsettles the big team and it gives some uh, encouragement to some of the smaller teams. And yeah, it's just... you, you the Football in general is just more fun when there's... You know, there's always going to be an imbalance between teams, but in general, it's just more fun when there's, there's more competition, you know, mm. when it's like anyone could win it and, yeah, just just add something to it. And to to bring it back to our ethos of of being punks, it's kind of that like fuck you to the authority sort of thing of like yeah. big, big money yeah, big money clubs coming in, and you've got this club that might be mm. struggling getting their their one up on on a team. So that's why I love to see it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I as a, as a you know fan of one of the biggest teams in the world, the biggest commercial teams in the world now. You know, I I know that it's it's not it, it's not particularly like punk in those big teams at the top, you know, mm. that are mainly run by businessmen now. Um, so it is fun to see them get beat and see them struggle to put something together on the pitch, despite all the money and the power they have. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we're going to kind of stick with mainland, but I'm going to se- segue kind of via the Premier League because. Uh, we saw earlier today in the Southampton uh, v Aston Villa game two incredibly late goals for Aston Villa. Like they got a penalty in the ninety third minute, and then another goal in the ninety seventh, which nearly kind of made it four all. But not to be outdone, Syria decided to go one better uh, in the Torino Lazio game, which ended same exactly same scoreline four three. But there was three goals in the last, like, well, ended up being nearly 10 minutes because of added time. Um, so Torino went 3-2 up on the 87th minute, which would have given them their first league win of the season, I believe. Um, only for Lazio to get a penalty on the 85th minute, I think it was, through uh, Immobile. And then on the 98th minute, a winning goal to give them the 4-3 win, which, oh yeah, this is just fucking ridiculous that a game was able to go on this long and for Lazio to get the three points. This is just stupid. Yeah, 
And I mentioned it before, but like I just love a dramatic end to a game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just, and I, I, I love the like thinking about like the psychology of it as well. You know, like when you get a, if you get a late winner, do you, does it kind of, how, how do you then crumble, you know, can you then crumble? You then like think you've done it, you know, and you, your defense falls apart, you know, maybe you need it to be later almost. So there's less time afterwards for the other teams come into it. And, and the way the momentum shifts and you see it in games, mm. like, like um, pe- people often say that like, like leading by two goals is actually quite a dangerous lead to have because it feels comfortable but two goals can, can go in so quickly, like one after the other. And when the other team gets one back, the momentum just shifts and it can all suddenly, you know, like, and, and I just love thinking about why that is. You yeah. Know? Just the way momentum works in a game, especially late on when it could go either way. Well, because that's like, it's almost like that hurried and rushed mentality, isn't it? Like, especially with like with this where... Um, it's the same. It maybe got the penalty. It was after a VAR check on the ninety fifth minute, and like they there go three all, and like you kind of, I'm guessing as a player you just kind of have that mentality of like right we've got that one like it's just like just see if we can get the ball out there as quickly as possible and we'll see what happens, and yeah. it was literally like okay it was three minutes later but like it was in a flash like the ball kind of came in and ricocheted around. And then hit my botched pronunciation again. Um, Filippo Sacido, mm-hmm. I think is how you pronounce it, was just like there, like on the six yard box, and just slipped it through like the keeper's legs, which adds insult to injury in that last <laughs> sort of dying moments. But it is that like people say like is momentum a thing, and like it clearly shows it is like especially in those dying moments when you've kind of got that rush of adrenaline and you know you've got like seconds on the clock to kind of change a game so yeah and, and I think it's it's the the defense it's so hard to defend when the other team has that momentum but also you just I don't know you crumble and you feel sh- you know shaky and you're nervous and you you know that anything could happen and you you start panicking and maybe you know you rush to the ball and get out of position and it's harder to keep a, a back line and you drop back maybe because you're, you're wary about defending your goal um, and, and let space in front of you. And it's, it's, it just all, all, you know, ties together. Yeah. And I think like you say that kind of like that nervousness, I think, especially in this kind of situation, I, admittedly, I haven't seen the Villa highlights yet. So it might be a kind of a similar thing because again, like Villa got a penalty and then got the goal through Jack Grealish. But mm. Like the fact that the penalty was given on VAR, like that immediately as a defender, like you 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 must kind of drop because you're thinking like in your head, you've you're minutes away from winning this game, and now it's a draw, so like you're thinking, oh fuck's sake, like okay, at least we can get a draw out of this, but because your concentration's lapsed, all of a sudden, boom, there you go, now you haven't even got a point. Yeah, yeah, you can't even cling on to that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, especially with with VAR as well. You probably, I, you know, it, it must be weird playing under it because that's something none of us can can experience. You know, unless we're pro football. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, it. I wonder, wonder how that affects it as well because it's like if you get a, a penalty given against you, 
on VAR, obviously VAR does make mistakes, but you've got to kind of think, well, I must have made a mistake there then. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes you're not always 100% sure. You know, you want to see it back. Sometimes you see people make tackles or, or make a run and that gets called offside and they're 100% sure that, you know, they got the ball or that they were onside. And you can clearly see with the, with the replay that they were. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you have it there, then you kind of get in confirmation that you were in the wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. yeah. <laughs> but oh, I don't know, like, I, I kind of like yourself, like, I love these sort of like late drama games and things like this. And I always love like a high scoring game. So this was one that I was going to bring the Villa game to the table, but I thought this one had more impetus in the fact that Lazio are kind of one of the teams that last year were, were challenging for yeah. the title. And they almost kind of let as points slip against their kind of title rivals, worst enemies in Torino and Juventus sort of thing. So this was an interesting game for, for me on the whole. I'd be interested to see if it's like something that's increased recently with like football, you know, with without fans and things like that as well, because obviously we've had a couple of them recently. There, there was the, the Tottenham and West Ham, you know, three all mm. with the late screamer from Manzini and like things like that I'm just wondering if it's it might it might just be an anomaly or it might be something that that's actually been consistent this season I've not really checked it out I'd be interested to see if that is something that's like happening more if there's a reason for it I think it like I think it's well in the Premier League anyway it might have seemed to have calmed down a little bit but I think yeah like we are seeing I kind of put it down to sort of like the fact there's no crowds or stuff like that, but we are seeing these kind of crazier games and kind of like almost not like high school games because obviously there's still quality, but it's it's that kind of mm. mentality of play like having a kickabout rather than playing an actual football game sort of thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. There is that. It's it's just the you know it's it's sometimes the a crowd getting behind you can be the difference between a you know and and a nil nil and a one nil and, and and things like that but some of these like big score lines you just think it's got to be a mixture of things it's just got to be the weirdness of playing without fans it's got to be the lack of pre- preparation pre-season that the tiredness of a lot of teams are playing you know two games a week every week now mm. and then a lot of the team players are going off for internationals you know and and coming back and playing a, a club game in the same week as they had an international fixture and stuff and it's just like all of this stuff's got to tie in somehow. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, you know, this season's just been so weird. Yeah, and I mean, from my perspective, as uh, a neutral in terms of like the bigger games, like Premier League, mm. Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, I'm just absolutely loving it, to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is exciting, you know. It makes it more fun. Especially, and we, we need we kind of need it like this year because there's not a lot else going on like <laughs> yeah you know there's not a lot of um stuff to entertain us while we sort of descend into oblivion it <laughs> yeah. forward here's Caicedo it's bobbling around Caicedo has got it in underneath Salvatore Sirigu it's incredible incredible they were 3-2 down it's four Right, so as always, rounding off our weeks, our lovely little segment where we pick our our punks and Tories of the week. Um, Before I go to you, George, I think just a general absolutely scum Tory is the Tory party right now. 
obviously here in the UK, we're getting lockdown number two. Um, it's not stopping football this time, which is maybe a good thing, but obviously it's pushing back fans entering, it's pushing back gigs happening, which like was something that wasn't even on the cards anyway. So yeah, just a massive fuck you to the Tory party, I think. And I'm, I'm sure you agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I saw someone, um, I work in, in the town centre here and, and I saw someone in town today that had a shirt um, and it just had like all the names of the members of the cabinet arranged like in a certain way so that down the middle it just said arsehole. <laughs> I was almost chasing down like where did you get that? <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> but we'll, we'll start on a better note. So we'll go who we, we thought were, were really good. So George, who was your punk of the week? All right, so I know this is such an obvious pick and it's probably been picked before and talked about to death but i just have to pick rashford yeah again because i just again he's just sort of just doing amazing and and it's it's good to see someone use that platform and their influence and i think what's so clever about it as well is that the message is just so simple it's literally just like i don't want kids to starve yeah and and the tories will hate that because it's such a like obviously good cause and you see that like like pundits talking about it and normally they're so careful about not making any um statements that would would seem controversial like regarding political stuff but they're all every time Rashford comes up they're all like yeah obviously we know he's been doing great off the pitch as well and it's and it's just like universally accepted that what he's doing is good Mm. and forget that what he's doing is fighting the government so these people are kind of acknowledging that what the government is doing is bad in 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 doing this so he's kind of just opened that discussion of like you know this is something that needs stressing and you can't just you know and and the way that like before when he first did it and the and he he made the the sort of uh, he made Boris Johnson u-turn on what he said about about school meals um you know, you've got like all these these Tories coming out and, and Boris Johnson did it as well, coming out and saying, you know, I want to like commend the efforts of Rashford who's brought this to our attention. And I'm like, you, you knew what you were doing. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? You just hoped you'd get away with it. And he's and he's called you out on it. So, you, you know, it's it just seems so um, two-faced of you to now be like congratulating him. Like, I'm, I'm sure you, you hate the fact that he's done this. You know? Yeah. And th- I think as well, like, because obviously what's happened recently with the whole like, him uh asking them to extend it to obviously half term that's happening this week um but the government refusing to kind of acknowledge and extend that as a kind of a knock-on effect we've seen like obviously we've seen the wonderful response from the communities but in terms of us keeping it within football we've seen clubs sort of like opening up their community arms and sort of supporting it as well like i think I think Brighton might be one off the top of my head, but I know Wickham Wanderers bringing it full circle. They even had like their players like in their team kitchen, like, uh, like, um, what's the fucking word? Like serving up like meal preps and, and sort of like mm. preparing lunches and things like that f- to be taken to, to schools and taken to homes and taken to like community centers and things like that. And I think like, numerous other clubs have kind of done a similar thing to to that yeah, effect a lot of small businesses i know as well and like my like my local team here as well crawley town they posted stuff on their um 
their social media just put in like there's an email address and a phone number and it was just like if you're struggling for for you know for, to, to feed your kids at the moment or in any way just let us know and we'll see if we can help you know mm. yeah and it's it's good it's, it's something that um that it's good to see is you know clubs helping their their local community um because the government isn't going to do it no no, <laughs> no. and i think i think like as much as football is a, like on again on the highest level is a rich person's game like with mm. all the clubs and stuff like we are seeing and this is why i always bring it to the attention on on the friday show with the non-league teams is that they are the basis they they are the punks of football in like mm. yeah, you need as you say like crawley being a ta- uh, an example i think like afc porchester which is like my my local team like I'm not sure if they're kind of doing like handing out meals, but I know they're opening up like their clubhouse during. Well, they were going to, but now we're going into lockdown, so I don't know whether that's going to be a fucking yeah. option. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you see, it's like the non-league teams that are kind of doing it, and then as a knock-on effect, the bigger teams. And like I know at the top of the ladder, you've kind of got Rashford, who's who's become like the poster boy of this kind of quote-unquote movement. Mm. But it's nice that. You have got someone that's in that position who is earning thousands of pounds a week, who's not backing down. And it's rare that you see that. And especially for someone so young to be like having that voice, I think is commendable. And like, I'm just repeating what hundreds of other people have said, but it's cool that a player of such high profile is is using his platform for, for positive. Absolutely, yeah. Right, well, my punk on the pitch is a bit more, uh, not conventional, but like just kind of as of the actions that she's done this week and kind of yeah. is it in my mind because of the game today. Um, but it's Valerie Govan of Everton. I already mentioned the fact that she came out the second half with a strapped up knee. But not just that, she scored the equaliser today with the back of her head. Like, <laughs> didn't even look at yeah. it. But I, I transpired, like, I kind of read up a bit more about her and she's actually from, like, this tiny little island off the coast of France. Co- wow. It's it's spelt Reunion, but I'm sure that's not how it's, how it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously, like, has come into the English game via Montpellier and has made a massive impact on, on Willie Kirk's team. She's just this kind of like dogged rat, like Rottweiler of a of a striker. Like in today's game, it get, it proved like she did. She never gave anything up, and like the incident that kind of led to her having the prang on her knee was just like a half chance ball that kind of came through, and she just didn't give up. And it wasn't. It was only for a, a, an incredible Steph Horton tackle. Otherwise, she would have been clean through on goal, sort of thing. And. Yeah, I, like there's been a few players that have kind of come up on my radar recently where they've come from these nowhere countries to being like leading players in their team and these high profile teams. So and just because of the impact she had on today, Valerie is my is my punk of the week. Excellent choice. Yeah, right. Tory of the week. My mm-hmm. I struggled with this one a little bit because there wasn't anyone really that kind of stood out to me, but I'm going to go Lionel Messi purely because of what he did during the the game against Alaves. And he got, he got yellow carded for 
essentially like nearly kicking the referee. Like he kicked the ball at him, but if you actually watch the replay, like his foot like swings inches away from the ref's face. And like hmm. it was a, a, a thing of frustration, but it kind of showed like an act of petulance. And it's again, he's like, you're a multimillionaire. You're like one of the best players in the world. Like, okay, you're having a bit of a bad time of it, but fucking like, you shouldn't be acting like that. And it just, right. it felt like a really kind of shitty move for this player that's meant to be a role model, in my opinion. He's probably just used to to getting getting things his way. Yeah, exactly, often. exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. Lionel Messi, sorry, mate, you're you're a bit of a Tory this week. Um, but yeah, got George, who's yours? Uh, so it's not just one person. It's more just the Premier League in general or the, the, the bosses of the Premier League. Okay. Because again, they keep um, insisting that they're going to keep the pay-per-view football. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, even, even you know, they're, they're hoping to try and keep it during lockdown, apparently. Um, even even though last time, you know, they were encouraged to do it and there, there were some free games on TV and things last time. Um so hopefully they get forced to kind of stop it. But it's not even just the fact that they've done it. It's the fact that it's like £15 yeah. for a game. And some of them are just games that no one's really interested in, even as a, you know, as a new. That's the thing, yeah. Unless you're like a fan of those teams playing. Yeah. Like you're... So it's kind of just, they, and they know that fans of those teams will pay because they can't go to the game, you know. So if they want to watch it, that's the only really thing they have. And, and as an idea, I don't hate it as a, as a, as an idea in, in terms of like, you know, normally on a Saturday, obviously not at the moment, but normally on a Saturday, you'd have all the three o'clock kickoffs. And if you can't go to that game, you can't really watch it yeah. because they won't have it on TV. And I like the idea that at the moment, maybe they could do a thing where some of those games that wouldn't normally be on TV, you can pay, you know, I don't know, a fiver a game, even a tenner a game maybe um, to watch it. And, you know, maybe you can get like a weekend pass to watch as much as you want. Maybe you can get season pass. I don't know. But that, that as an idea isn't bad, you know, that you can watch games that wouldn't normally be on TV. But what it seems to be is for a while, especially um, at the start of this season and the end of last season, they'd have games all day. You know, you'd watch the early kickoff um, and you can sit right through to the evening mm. kickoff game and watch four or five games in a day. And now it's exactly the same, except two of those games are 15 quid to watch. Yeah. And it's like, there's no added benefit. You've just added costs to people who are probably already paying a lot for Sky and BT TV anyway. Yeah. It's just insane to me. That's the thing, like, as, as we said, like, if you're a fan of those clubs, you're going to watch it because it's the only way you can see your team unless, like, they're playing one of the bigger teams or it's like a derby, which would have been televised anyway. Yeah. But as you say, like, you're already paying for your... So, like Sky Sports subscription, you're already paying for your BT Sports subscription. So that's a lump sum going anyway. And then, like, there's no incentive for it. Like, if, as you say, if it was like, I don't know, you paid, like, your 15 quid for the weekend and then you got, like, as you say, like a Game Pass for the weekend or something like that. Mm. Or, like, I don't know, you it gave you access to something else or... It, just something more than you're yeah. paying this lump sum for a one-off and a game. Lot of those, yeah, a lot of these games don't even have like proper punditry and stuff like that. Like you'd think if you're paying for it, you'd get more. But like there was one United game that was on it the other day. So um, so we paid for it and like just watching it. It's just like, like at half time they just kind of have the same commentators just kind of 
fill the time briefly with a little chat yeah you know and then just more adverts and it's just kind of like what's the point well because you, know? like, you don't get anything extra that's the thing as well like i'm not really like i've got to admit so i've I get BT Sport because a friend of mine was kind enough to sort of let me piggyback. But I literally yeah. watch it for football and wrestling. I don't watch anything else on it. And I know, like, Sky Sports obviously has scheduling for other programmes and things like that. But you think specifically on a weekend, like, BT's got, like, what? BT 1, 2, and 3, I think it is. And Sky Sports is the same. If not, it's got more. Yeah. So sh- and sh- so surely they could like drop something for like on one of those other channels like for one weekend or something like that cuz like if I like you were saying with those even if it's just like a red button click or yeah. something. Yeah. And know? like you were saying like with the the United game like you've just got this one commentator. So on Friday like this is the first weekend in ages that I've watched like three consecutive week- days of games because on Friday was the Hamburg Derby, yeah, and that was on B um, BT Sports two, and literally it was just one. I don't know who the guy was, but it was one commentator, no color commentator, but he did the whole thing, did the halftime, did the boa, and like, okay, fair enough. Like I didn't really care for the commentary because I just wanted to see some Pauli because it's yeah. rare that I get a chance to see them on TV sort of thing, but like. For me, like that is quite boring. I, I want to have someone a bit different, giving a bit of a different perspective. So if you're paying and you're getting Joe Bloggs just talking the same thing over and over, it's not value for money. No. And it's the knowledge that the money is just going to the, the big corporations at the top anyway. And maybe the big teams get, I don't know how it works in terms of um, the teams getting shown. But it's like... Uh, you know that the um is it i follow like yeah you can watch the football league teams at the moment um, but apparently that's got his like, issues yeah. as well uh well but i mean at least stuff like that can be a way to support teams you know lower down who rely on the match day sort of um funding that they're not getting at the moment but that's what it should be really a way to support the teams or or raise more money for people that are struggling and yeah you know in this horrible kind of year yeah but as always millionaires want to grab more money mm-hmm. but yeah well that's i think that's a, a nice sour note to end on. um <laughs> it's fitting for the the week it's been yeah no totally agree but um yeah thank you again as always george as no, as i said i'm sure it won't be the last time um next week we're i'm aiming to have uh, like an fa cup special um, I need to speak to my FA Cup man who I'm hoping to get on. But yeah, so it might be a different one next week. But George, thank you again as always. Um, no problem. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I hope United do better in the week. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I think they can. Perfect. Brilliant. Cheers, mate.